Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And now for something completely different. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Gig Hockey Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and I'm very excited to do today's broken record episode of the Gig Hockey Podcast. Hey, Pearson, what do you mean by broken record episode? I mean, I'm going to do an episode where it sounds like I may very well have just taken an earlier monologue that I did this year and put it in exactly the same spot because I'm going to be talking about all the exact same things because, hey, guess what? Carolina's offense is still bad and it still is somewhat inexplicable. I mean, I guess this week there are maybe different reasons than we have had this year, but it continues to be, as I've said many times this year, and that's why I'm prefacing all this by saying sorry for sounding like a broken record. It just continues to be more questions than answers for this Carolina offense as they fall to Appalachian State 20-15 to at home. It was a night game. It was bad, and we're going to talk about it. But first, I want to remind you all, listening, thank you so much for listening and being here, first of all. And secondly, if you like it and you want to hear a lot more of it, be sure to rate the podcast, review the podcast, and subscribe to the podcast. And that way, you'll get everything cool that we do on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, including another Carolina podcast with Wes and Chris. Men's and women's basketball are both officially underway. We will be getting something going with the basketball teams specifically. Well, I guess not with the basketball teams, but for the basketball teams coming up here sooner rather than later. And it's just a great time to be subscribed to all things Gamecock Central. The podcast is free, and a lot of stuff on the website is free, but not everything on the website is free. But if you want access to all the great stuff that Gamecock Central is doing, you can use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD to get a month of insider access for free Uh, but as i mentioned the podcasts are free so hope you all enjoy those and we're going to talk to will hums a little bit later as we always do on mondays he's having a little bit of a beef right now with pro football focus i won't spoil it i will let him tell you what his issues are right now and it's not like a big picture or anything just sort of with this week's grades for several carolina players but first the broken record carolina scored 15 points against appalachian state Yes, Appalachian State is a good football team, and as you will hear Wilhelm say later, actually normally I record this and then talk to Will. Today I had the rare fortune of talking to Will and then recording this, so I can, I guess, refer to some things that we talk about a little bit later in the podcast, but he wanted to just shout out Group of Five football in general, which I think has gotten a lot better, but is still... I mean, there's just not an excuse for a team like Carolina to lose to Appalachian State. I know it was only a six and a half point spread. It opened at either three and a half or four, depending on where you're looking. And the whole stat about Appalachian State has the most wins of all the schools in FBS, with the exception of Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama in the last five years, whatever. All of those things are true. I wasn't super surprised that Carolina lost to Appalachian State. I said that you know there was very much a, a possibility that that would happen. Carolina had turned in a lot more disappointing and lackluster performances than the Appalachian State loss. I, th- I think both the North Carolina and Tennessee losses are, I don't want to say less excusable, but maybe even more inexplicable. I mean, Appalachian State has already proven that they're better than North Carolina, so you know it makes sense that that this would have happened the way that it did on Saturday, but I don't know. It wasn't overly surprising. I told everyone all week, do not touch Carolina minus six. I said that when the line opened at like four, I was like, I don't feel great about that because Carolina doesn't, 
Carolina doesn't score enough points to win football games is the point right now, and they certainly don't win enough or score enough points to worry about them covering. So, again, I wasn't super surprised, and yet I still feel like this is an incredibly damaging loss, not just for this season, not just for the people involved, but this feels like like a program kind of loss. You know, years from now, whatever the Carolina football program looks like in 2025, which is, I think, when they maybe go up to Boone, or maybe that's 2023, but let's just say 2025, people will look back on 2019, and the first thing that they will remember about this season will likely, and fairly, be the Georgia game. And then they will remember that the season ended 4-8, and eight, and that Carolina lost to Appalachian State. That's going to come to mind before the season opening loss to North Carolina, before the 20-point loss up in Knoxville, which at the time felt like a terrible loss, and it, and it still is because the performance was so bad, because it was so unenergetic and lackluster. Carolina couldn't make adjustments. There are a lot of reasons that I still think that was a, a terrible loss and maybe the worst performance of the season for South Carolina. But the Appalachian State game is going to stand out as sort of the the, the paradigm or at least like the, I guess, the synecdoche of this year. Am I using that word correctly? It, it's what people think of when they think of that 2015 3-9 season. The first thing you think of is Citadel. You don't think about the other nine games that Carolina lost. And similarly, when Carolina finishes 4-8 and eight this year, the loss that is going to stand out the most will be that Appalachian State loss. I don't know if that's exactly fair, because again, I think Appalachian State's a good team, but Carolina should have won that game. They have better players, but broken record part two, it was, to me, the coaching. The lack of proper game plan, the lack of adjustments, the lack of, I guess, effective adjustments, because there were things that Carolina tried to do to shake things up, and it just wasn't it wasn't enough. And I refuse to believe that Appalachian State was just more talented than South Carolina. Maybe Appalachian State's C-plus, B-minus talent performed at 100%, and South Carolina's A-minus, B-plus talent performed at 60%, and that was the difference. And so if you want to say that Appalachian State's, you know, maximize their talent more than Carolina. I think that's true. But Appalachian State was time and again put in a position to succeed. They took away exactly what Carolina wanted to do. Carolina wasn't good enough or couldn't figure out a way to do what they wanted to do, which is just embarrassing. Um, And I, I guess kind of brings me back to an argument that certainly had not been put to bed but Carolina had done a better job of answering the question the last couple of weeks of what kind of team is this? And it was a team that's limited offensively. That's not going to score a lot of points that needs to run the football, win these grinded out close kinds of games, play good defense, especially up front on the defensive line, shut down the opponent's rushing attack, get after the quarterback, you know, do all these things that are not that boring, that are not sexy, that are a way to win. Maybe not the best way to win right now in college football, and Carolina doesn't even do those things well enough to win, were that the case. And then all of a sudden, it's full-blown identity crisis again, where the offense is throwing the ball 57 times, and I get that they were trailing, but it's not like the game was so far out of reach that they really needed to air it out 57 times, but they also weren't getting anything done on the ground. It was 27 carries for 21 total yards. I think Rico had 14 carry or 12 carries for 9 yards, Deshaun Fimlick had four carries for nine yards. Kevin Harris had a carry for two yards. It was strange, and it was disappointing. And I put it more on the coaches than anything, which is which I feel like I shouldn't do. It feels a little bit counterintuitive because it's like, okay, well, the offensive line wasn't blocking, and the running backs weren't breaking tackles. And the reason that I, that I put this on the coaching staff more than anything 
It's not even because they didn't make adjustments, because uh, I, I didn't exactly specifically notice this, but Eric Kimry on my local show on 107.5 kind of helped me describe what it was that I was seeing from Carolina on Saturday, which is Appalachian State was doing an excellent job of disrupting Carolina's pin and pull, which is kind of the become it's become the bread and butter of their rushing attack. And so in the second half, they went away from that a little bit more. They ran a few more inside zone kinds of schemes like we saw last season and like we saw in the North Carolina game just to try to mix something up. So in, in that case, I give the coaching staff credit for trying to make an adjustment for seeing that, you know, the pin and pull stuff that they've been doing. Appalachian State did a great job of scouting it and attacking it and exploiting it. Carolina couldn't get anything going in the first half on the ground or really the entire game. They tried to change it up. It didn't work. And so how can you put that on the coaching staff, Pearson? But my answer is I'm not even really talking about the Appalachian State game. I'm not talking about Carolina's inability to run the football on Saturday. What I mean is Carolina is now 10 games into the season, and for nine games, they've been an excellent running team. And then when they finally got the passing game together, a little bit by necessity, maybe it wouldn't have sort of coalesced like it did for Carolina. And it, not, again, not like it was spectacular, but Ryan Holinsky had a good game, 32 of 57, 300 and something yards, a touchdown and a pick on a drop. So you don't blame him for that. But the reason that I'm blaming them is because when that happened finally for Carolina, then the running game stops. And the coaching staff, offensively, defensively, whatever, just in general, Will Muschamp, whomever, cannot get this team to consistently play well in multiple phases at the same time. If the defense is playing great, then the offense is bad. And on the offense, if the team's running the ball well, which they've done most of the year, then the passing game is a disaster. When the passing game's going well, like it was on Saturday, and again, not well, because Carolina had some drops, but again, Helensky, especially late in that game, kind of, you know, move the ball like he wanted to. There were some penalties, some things that set Carolina back, but it's not like it was uh, taxing. It's not like Carolina couldn't move the ball on them. They just couldn't score. They couldn't continue. They couldn't finish drives. I think they were 4 of 18 again on third downs, but it's just another example of reasons, excuses, however you want to call it, and no matter what it is, whether it's Ryan Holinsky's health, whether it's wide receivers dropping the ball, whether it's the health of your team, your wide receivers, your tight ends, the health of your offensive line, whatever, this team just finds new ways and surprising ways because I did not foresee a scenario where Carolina wouldn't be able to run the ball against Appalachian State. So this team is like manufacturing seemingly unthinkable ways to make the offense suck. And obviously I make it sound like it's sabotage, and it's not, but it's fascinating. And I've never watched a South Carolina team and I don't watch other teams closely enough. Like I watch a lot of other teams, but it's not like I will watch every single Vanderbilt game or every single Tennessee game this year. And I've never done that. So I can't say on like a game by game, like here's the, here's like the micro detail of the season, but I can never remember watching any team that just continually found ways or continuously. I don't know which one is more correct there, but keeps finding ways to shoot itself in the foot and be bad in this case at offense. Usually, it is one thing. This team can't pass the ball. This team can't throw the ball deep. This team can't get out of can't get out of its own way and commits too many turnovers or commits too many penalties. Last year, Carolina was terrible in short yardage situations. They couldn't run the ball, but you knew that. This year, just roll the die. What turns up? This week, up oh, Ryan Holinsky's going to be hurt. Next week, the offensive line's going to be bad for some reason, and they're going to be banged up. And then the week after that, well, there are no more running backs. And then, no, oh, well, you get your running backs back, but you know they're just not going to be good this week for some reason. Maybe it's because they don't have any holes. Maybe it's because they're not very good. The point is, this team, <laughs> where most teams and coaches, and I'm not saying they're trying to do this. 
although it kind of seems like it sometimes, where you try to find answers and solutions, it's like you think you get one. Okay, cool. Ryan Holinsky had a good game. If I told you that Ryan Holinsky would have completed, you know, whatever, 60% of his passes, is that what 32 of 57 is? 32 divided by 57. 56% of his passes for 300 something yards. Turnover margins even. Carolina wins a time of possession battle. They hold Appalachian State to 202 yards. How do you think this game goes? Cool. Carolina wins. They actually cover two covers in a row. That's a nice little bit of momentum to take into College Station. Oh, wait, but. I forgot to tell you the wrinkle that for some reason this week, Carolina is not going to be able to run the ball. They're going to average 0.8 yards per carry. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know how they keep getting in their own way. I saw something on Gamecock Central today saying, oh, well, you know, it's it's penalties and it's these sort of hidden yards. Well, Muschamp has talked about that. And I think that's something that I alluded to. It. I don't remember if it was on my local show or on this podcast last week. You know, what do you do about these, these hidden yards, these penalty yards for Carolina? That wasn't the difference in the game. What about drops? Oh, you know, they have so many drops on third downs, you know, they would have kept drives alive. If they had six drops, which is what I feel like was about what they had, that doesn't make a difference in the game. Like, maybe they keep drives going. Maybe the next play, Carolina turns it over. Maybe the next play, Carolina scores a touchdown. You can't really say, but it doesn't feel like these drops are changing the complexion of the game. And there are drops all the time. You're going to have drops in a season. I don't know what the number is. I would be very curious for any of you listening that happen to know or know someone that knows. I can probably just Google it after this, honestly. But I don't know where Carolina is in the country in terms of drops. But I bet it's like on the low end of average. I bet they're not like 110, probably 60 or 70, maybe 80. But it's not like teams don't have drops. Carolina has normal problems. I I think they're 11th in the SEC in, in penalties, which isn't great. But it's, you know, not one of the worst three. But it's like, did you lose the App State game because you had eight penalties? And some of those are weird. One was a false start on a punt. One was a defensive holding on a run play. I was actually not even aware that that was a penalty. So, you know, learn something new every day. I had no idea. Seriously, I had no idea that was a penalty. I've never seen that call before. So then you're talking about six penalties. One was a holding on the second to last play of the game. Like, how much of an impact does that have? I don't really know. So now you're down to five penalties. It's like, does does three false starts, like, is this team that bad that three false starts is the difference between beating and losing to App State? And I guess when I say all of these things the drops and the penalties and the bad special teams plays, Xavier Leggett not fielding a pun, giving up 20 yards of field position, and the long kick return that set up Appalachian State's one offensive touchdown. All of these things sort of add up. But you think just by accident, one of these games, Carolina would not have all these things go against them. And I guess they did. I guess that was the Georgia game. By accident, Carolina didn't have all these stupid things happen. But that it happens as often as it does. I'm just left with no other explanation other than maybe this team is just cursed, which I say only ironically because I know some people that listen to this and people that post on the message boards get very sensitive about that. So I'm just trying to trigger you all listening. Just be aware of that. It doesn't make any sense. And I feel like it has to start at the top. At some point, the culpability goes up to the top. I don't have anything specifically that I would like for Brian McClendon to change other than to score more points. But there are very there have been very few points in the entire season. And Saturday was another example where I'm like, ah, that's a really terrible play call. You can say, yeah, well, yeah, Carolina kept running into the back of the line of scrimmage. It's like, well, you, I mean, you have to run the ball. They already passed it too many times. They needed to run the ball more. I have no problem with trying to establish the run. That's what you've done well all year. It makes sense. You know, after a bad first quarter, it's like, well, that was a bad quarter, but the last nine times four, the last 36 quarters have been great running the football. So we're not going to let one quarter determine 
you know, our entire offensive philosophy for the rest of the game. So let's keep running. Well, you know, it doesn't really work either. And, you know, at some point you make some adjustments and you have to chase the game. And I think I wrote it down. Yeah, so Carolina had 17 carries in the first half and only seven in the second half. But, again, they're they're trailing by how much. How much of it was smart to move away from the run because it wasn't working and you weren't going to fix it on the fly? I don't know. But point is, all of these things are, like, sort of arguable. And I don't really... There's nothing clear-cut about, oh, that was a bad play call. That was a bad decision. You can't do this. Everything that he's doing seems justifiable. And how much of the game plan is Dan Werner? You know, how much of the culpability is on Brian McClendon as a wide receiver coach? These are the things that I don't really know. But all I know is Carolina is not going to score 30 points this year. They're not going to score more than 27 points against an FBS opponent. They're averaging 20 points a game, like 20 and a half, against non-Charleston Southern schools this year. For a team with a guy, Ryan Holinsky was a four-star Elite 11 guy that everyone thinks is going to be good, and I think is going to be good, and I think had a good performance on Saturday with Brian Edwards, who's an NFL receiver, and Enrico Dotto, who's having the best year of his career. I, I keep saying these things, and I feel like an idiot because I just sound like a broken record, and I know I even prefaced all this by saying, hey, guys, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I apologize for that. But, I mean, it's really just banging your head against the wall. And now it's a loss against Appalachian State, and people are like, oh, now Carolina's not going to make a bowl. Who cares? I stopped caring about a bowl a long time ago. You should have, too. Do yourself a favor. Bowls don't matter. Just quit caring about those. The fact of the matter is this is a program-damaging loss for South Carolina. Not that it's because it was that unlikely that they were going to lose, but if you lose on the road in Knoxville and you lose a season opener against North Carolina and you lose an ugly game on the road in Missouri and you lose to Alabama and you lose to Clemson and you lose at Kyle Field next week, those things are okay. A Carolina fan base can be frustrated about those things because you should be making progress. And maybe you feel like you're not. And as a fan base, you're kind of frustrated. But when you lose to App State, now you're headlining Sports Center, another notch in the belt. Now you're on the montage of all the Power Five teams that Appalachian State's beaten over the years. <sighs> SEC football just means more. This Appalachian State loss just means more. It's just, it's not as ugly. Well, actually, it is just as ugly as the Tennessee loss. It's a different kind of ugly because it was your offense that just continues to be completely anemic. Again, the defensive performance is good. That sucks, man. That sucks. I'm, I'm going to ask Will this a little bit later, and he's got a good answer, and actually the exact answer that I was thinking of when I thought of this question this morning. Oh, man. But as good as, or as well as the defense has played for most of this season, and even in the games where they've given up a lot of points, like Alabama's the only one you look at and say, yeah, they got gashed. But Missouri, two non-offensive touchdowns. Uh, Tennessee, was Tennessee just one or two? I think it was two. I think it was two. There was the, yeah, punt return and then the punt block. That's right. So even in those games, you give up 20 points to Missouri and 23 defensively. The rest are all special teams or defensive. Appalachian State, you give up 13 points and 202 yards. So Will Muschamp's best defense, and it's going to be wasted in a 4-8 and eight season because the offense scored 15 points against Appalachian State and 20 points against North Carolina and 24 and a win against Vanderbilt, but just 24 points against Vanderbilt and 21 against Tennessee. And probably not because you don't have talent. I ask people every single week, whom am I overrating? Who do I have the wrong idea about? Is Ryan Holinsky actually terrible? Is the offensive line actually terrible? Are these receivers actually terrible? I don't think the answer is yes to any of those questions. The best case you have is to say, Carolina doesn't have any receivers. Because at one point, they had two backup quarterbacks and Chad Terrell and a first-year 
walk-on white guy who actually had a fine game in Trackins. But that's what you're dealing with. That's that's like your most compelling case. But Carolina isn't scoring 15 points against Appalachian State just because Shai Smith and Ortrey Smith and Josh Banner hurt. This is not the case. You still have Brian Edwards. You still have the best receiver on the field. You still have a top-tier and all-SEC caliber receiver. And he had nine catches and 90 yards and a touchdown. That should be enough. But 15 points. Doesn't make sense. I don't exactly know where it's coming from. And uh, I guess that concludes this rec- uh, this uh, segment of Broken Record. I will probably be back next week when I get back from Texas A&M saying the same thing. But in the meantime, let's talk to Will Helms to see why he's feuding with Pro Football Focus and what we can glean from our disagreement. All right, on the line with me now, as he is every Monday, to try and make sense of yet another confusing and disappointing loss for South Carolina. The third time this year they have lost as a favorite, adding to the 12.5-point favorite loss to North Carolina, the 4-point favorite loss to Tennessee, and now a 6.5-point, because that's where the line closed, loss to Appalachian State, the Sun Belt team that beats big Power 5 teams, and Carolina scheduled them and has to play them two more times in the next, I think, six years. And, uh, well, it's let's just say it's not a good start to that three-game series, 20-15. to 15. And, Will, you and I normally talk about the pro football focus numbers. We get into some advanced analytics to try to find some of the subplots of the game that maybe don't show up in the box score. But you're actively protesting this week, is my understanding. Yeah, I'm not very happy with the uh, PFF grades. I usually, um, I don't want to say confirmation bias and, you know, confirm what I, I see, but I trust myself as an evaluator of talent. And, um Usually PFF, um, for the most part, lines up pretty closely with what I see. And this week, I don't think it could have been more different than what I saw from the game Saturday. All right. So is it is it the process that you disagree with? Is it just the numbers? Because uh, you, you, I think, understand pretty well how they come to the conclusion of these numbers. And you just sort of, I guess, disagree with how each of you are arriving at your independent conclusions? Pretty much. Um, I never understand offensive line. Um, I don't think I ever have. Um, but this week is... You know, that's one of them that I got frustrated with was the offensive line. And then grades from, I guess, two of the guys that I think played pretty well Saturday. Um, and I guess we can, you know, talk about that. Yeah, well, let's just get started. What are the numbers? What numbers did you look at and, and say, or I guess what was the moment that you decided that you did not agree with what Pro Football Focus had to say about the game on Saturday? Whose number jumped out? So I wrote an article Sunday morning about the offensive line and how it was their worst game of the season. Um, I thought so. Um, I thought that was pretty obvious from watching the game that they just kind of got blown off the ball. They couldn't run block. Um, they struggled at the very end of pass block. Um, I thought it was – I actually made the comments um, in the press box that I thought it was probably the worst game the offensive line has played under Will Muschamp. And PFF could not have disagreed more. Hmm. Um, so you have the two highest – Offensive line grades of the season came from this game. Um, one of them from Dylan Wanham, who I thought had just an atrocious fourth quarter. Um, and the numbers backed that up, but the grade that they gave him did not back that up in the slightest. All right, so I can't figure that one out. So a lot of the conversation, at least on our local show on 107.5, last week had to do with the fact that Dylan Wanham coming back in the offensive line, hopefully finding the continuity that had been missing for the last couple games would have been a boon. And that would have been important for a game in which Carolina probably needed to run the ball, control the line of scrimmage. Getting Dylan Wanham back not only did not help them, he ended up, maybe it was just with the one penalty, I guess, maybe the holding penalty right at the end of the game, uh, but also, in my estimation, gave up two sacks. I know that sometimes pro football focus, uh, I guess, 
gives those sacks out a little bit differently. I think one of them maybe could have been considered a coverage sack, but gave up at least a couple of pressures. And nobody on that unit seemed to be run blocking well. And what part of his grade elevated his overall grade for the game? So they gave him a 67.6 run blocking grade um, and a 68 pass blocking grade. And part of the reason the the pass blocking grade was so high is because um, South Carolina did drop back to pass, according to PFF, um, 70 times in this game Um, and either ran the ball, scrambled, um, threw the ball away, gave up a sack, something like that on a few of those, which is why um, Ryan Holinsky obviously didn't end up with 59 or with 70, however many um, throws he had, um, you know, attempts somewhere in the fifties. But that's kind of why his pass blocking grade wasn't terrible, Um, but he had the highest run blocking grade on the team. um, Dylan Wanham did. And that elevated his overall grade to just under a 70, um, which I think we've talked about before. Um, The offensive line grades all season have been just very much average, um, which gives them season grades in the above average range. But um, on a game by game basis, every grade has been average. So I guess you're about to get to another offensive lineman that had a better grade according to Pro Football Focus than it seemed like they had uh, based on the eye test and based on probably each of our critical watching abilities. Uh, but does this mean that the running backs and probably in particular Rico Dowdle just had like historically bad performances? No, it didn't, um, which is very interesting to me. I think what kind of mitigated it is the pass blocking grades um, are more mathematical than a lot of the other grades they give. So um, with pass blocking grades, um, they usually just take the number of snaps that the guys are in pass blocking, um, the number of pressures they gave up, how they looked on those pressures, how much of it was their fault, and then kind of put it into an algorithm and give a pass blocking grade. So you have um, three players with um, pass blocking grades, well, four players if you include Rico Dowdle, um, above 80, which would be very good. Um, They weighted the run blocking grades, however, a lot heavier um, which is interesting to me because according to um, PFS, there were only 21 run blocking um, plays. So you have Jordan Rhodes with a 90 overall or with a 90 pass blocking grade, but he gets a 63 overall because of his 50.1 uh, run blocking grade. And you have Donnell Stanley who ends up with a 67.8, which I believe is his highest single grade, single game grade of the season. Um, but yet again, he didn't give up a pressure. He's given up four pressures in the past two seasons while he's played center. Um, so, you know, he has been excellent in pass blocking, but he gets an 87.1, but only a 57.6 run blocking grade, which brings his overall grade way down. Um, where I get confused is Dylan Wanham on the offensive line was the fourth best of the offensive linemen in pass blocking. Um, he gave up, according to PFF, four pressures, three of them hurries, one of them being a sack, um, and get, still gets a 68 pass blocking grade. Since his run blocking grade was also around 68, he ends up with a 69 overall um, grade for the game, which is the highest of any of the offensive linemen and the highest on the team of anybody that played um, or on the offense of anybody that played at least two snaps. Wow. Is it just because they dropped back to pass so many times that that is a comparatively low number? Because otherwise, I mean, you went through that whole thing and I was expecting I guess I was expecting it to make more sense in terms of what their process is, but I guess now that you lay it out to me like that, I, I'm just as lost as you are in terms of how those grades finished like they did. So usually what they'll end up doing is they'll say, you know, you gave up um, two pressures in 20 pass attempts. Well, that's way worse than two pressures in 40 pass attempts. And so since South Carolina dropped back to pass so often, um, I think they 
they give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. So overall, they only attributed four pressures to Dylan Wanham. I counted four on the last drive alone. Um, so this, I guess that's where I would disagree with them a little bit. Um, but because it's 70, 70 passes overall, four out of 70 pressures is not a terrible pressure rate for a tackle. If that were a guard or a center, um, you know, maybe you look at it a little bit differently. Um, but the interior of the line graded out really well in pass blocking, gave up one hurry um, and no other pressures between um, Jordan Rhodes, Donnell Stanley, and Javon Gwynn. Uh, but then you have the tackles that gave up um, four pressures from Dylan Wanham and three pressures from Sirius Hutcherson, along with um, three penalties between the two of them. Hmm. I guess I guess when I think about it, and going back and watching the game, while Appalachians State did up, end up with three sacks, they all came late. I think might have been all three in the fourth quarter, or one in the third quarter, two in the fourth quarter. Uh, they were all late. They were all when Carolina was trailing and chasing the game, so they had to pin their ears back and just kind of come. Um, but it is kind of remarkable that Carolina pretty much always gives up three sacks. Uh, I've done this a couple times now, so hopefully uh, this isn't redundant for you, but here are the numbers of sacks that Carolina has given up on a game-by-game basis. They give up three, then they give up zero, then three, then four, then three, then zero, then three, then three, then zero, then three. So they pretty much just give up three sacks every single game, and Appalachian State got there, although it was late. Um, but but all this to say, you know, I think Ryan Helinski ended up having a, a fine day, and I'll ask you about how he graded out in just a second. Um, I don't know if that's one that you disagree with or not, but the biggest problem, obviously, offensively for Carolina, other than just the sheer output, only scoring 15 points against Appalachian State, which is hilarious and tragic and confusing and all these things, but the, the run, lack of running game. 27 carries for 21 yards, as I mentioned, 0.8 yards per carry. Rico Dowdle, 14 carries for 9 yards. Deshaun Fenwick, 4 carries for 9 yards. Uh, DeCarion Joyner, the leading rusher on the game, 3 carries for 14 yards. And Kevin Harris is just the 1 carry for 2 yards on 4th down. And then that, of course, takes into consideration Ryan Helensky's 5 carries for 13 yards, 3 of which were sacks. Um, and it sounds like the, the run grades sort of reflected that, but I would have expected them to be like zero because I've, I just have not seen, especially with this team that's run the belt, run the ball well all season long, just no holes and guys living in the backfield for Appalachian state. Yeah. They actually average negative 0.5 yards before contact per carry, which means that the running backs just literally had no chance. I mean, they're getting hit on average in the backfield, every play um, against a, okay Appalachian State front they've got some linebackers that are really good and are going to be playing on Sundays um, but I just was not understanding the run grades because they are all remarkably average considering um, the circumstances and how poorly uh, the advanced stats show that South Carolina ran the ball because they're even worse than looking at what 19 carries for 20 yards or something like that for the running back um, the stats behind that are even worse and yet the running grades are remarkably average I guess maybe one thing that this could point to, and it kind of is, is where I've gone with the game, and, and this isn't the first time this has happened to Carolina, but I guess Pro Football Focus could say for what Carolina was trying to do, they did well, but Appalachian State basically just had a better game plan, which is what it looked like on Saturday, and so I, I wouldn't be totally opposed to that sort of interpretation. I don't know if their process you know, has that much sort of consideration and nuance in it, or if it really is just kind of you know, numbers based on probable assignments and things like that but I mean Appalachian State just they just had the right game plan there's no reason that Carolina should have been dominated on that side of the line of scrimmage I guess they did well defensively we can talk about that in just a minute but there's absolutely no reason other than App State just had a better game plan and Carolina wasn't able to adjust that's the only explanation for why Carolina can only get 21 yards on the ground against them yeah and I can understand the some of the problems at receiver I know that App State has some really good uh, DBs I watch this team a lot I've got a 
several friends that went there. So I watch Appalachian State when I can on weekdays and things like that. And I, they've got good corners. They've got some pretty good safeties, some good linebackers. But I was almost shocked at how much they dominated the line of scrimmage um, on the defensive side of the ball. Then the passing game, Ryan Holinsky, 32 of 57, 325 yards, a touchdown, finally a pick after 180 attempts. Uh, the longest streak in the nation is now broken. That interception was not his fault. It was a drop by Xavier Leggett, obviously led to the touchdown that was the difference in this game for South Carolina. Did Ryan Holinsky end up with a good grade? Because I thought he looked pretty sharp on Saturday. I did too. I actually expected him the past three weeks. He's been in the top three on the offense. Um, and this week he was the worst graded player on either team. Hmm. Um, second worst graded player behind Javon Kinlaw, actually, which is, you know, fairly interesting. But he graded out at a 48, which is just a tick above where he was in the Missouri game. And that's where I get confused because to me, there's no reason that he would have um, an interception that would be attributed to him. Only thing I could think is that they do grade plays um, based on the time of the game, um, how big of a play it is, um, and independent of anything else that goes on in the game. So they would basically look at the last play of the game and say, well, you know, Brian Holinsky didn't know there was a penalty on his left tackle for holding. He should have hit the, um, you know, completed the pass to Brian Edwards. Even if it wouldn't have counted, we're going to consider it as um, a big miss on his part. But really, I thought he was inaccurate on maybe five or six passes. Um, And his adjusted completion percentage actually shows that. He had an adjusted completion percentage over 75%, um, several drops. Um, PFF gave the wide receivers fewer drops than I thought they would. I think four overall, hmm. um, which I counted several more than that in the first quarter alone. Yeah, I thought um, at least six. But... Yeah, I thought at least six or seven. Um, but Ryan Holinsky graded out at a 48, which just does not make sense to me. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Now, I know they will take into consideration some rushing grades, and obviously his running numbers weren't good. He was sacked three times. It sounds like if they only credited Dylan Wanham with one sack allowed, then it sounds like the other one was probably you know, what we would consider a coverage sack. And then subsequently that might be the responsibility of Ryan Helensky. And I think the first sack of the game, uh, a rusher came free off the edge. I think it was maybe a delayed blitz too, maybe from the safety or, or a linebacker or something. And he, I think he saw him and tried to get rid of it and couldn't do anything. And maybe he lost significant, significant grades for that. But in terms of his actual, just throwing the football, I thought he looked as good as he's looked all year. One of the things that I really appreciated about his performances down or Smith, Josh van and shy Smith, none of whom have had great years, but are your second, third, and fourth best receivers just in terms of talent and probably in terms of you know targets and snaps and things like that this year. He didn't just focus on Brian. Brian had a nice game, nine catches, 90 yards, a touchdown, um, You know, had a few drops, a few misses. He was targeted a bunch more times, I would guess probably 15. But out of 57 total attempts, it wasn't like he was doing the, uh, the Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson thing. He wasn't getting tunnel vision. He did a really good job of distributing the football. I'm looking right now, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different players caught at least one pass, including him you know, being confident enough to deliver some passes to Trey Atkins, who I had never heard of before this game. Sounds like the, the people calling the game on TV were like, we don't know who this guy is. He's some kind of walk-on. I had no idea. He did a good job, I thought, of diagnosing defenses, finding out where the open player was going to be. Doesn't matter if it's Brian Edwards or Trey Atkins. And look, no disrespect to Trey. He, he played well. Or Xavier Leggett or you know Chad Terrell or whoever or whomever was open. He did a good job of putting the ball there. That showed a lot of maturity for me, I thought. Yeah, I thought the same thing, too. And um you had the first two receptions by guys not named Shai Smith or Brian Edwards that went for 25 yards in this game. Uh, Trey Atkins had the first, which I just find kind of hilarious that um, the third player to have a 25-yard reception is a first-year walk-on in the ninth, tenth game of the season, um, something like that. Uh, Rico Dowell had a long reception too. Um, 
But it, it just seemed to me like the receivers were never in sync with um, Brian Holinsky, and you could definitely see it when Brian Edwards got hurt for that stretch of the second quarter, I think maybe a little bit of the third quarter, um, where he just never looked fully comfortable, which in his defense, I would not look comfortable if my receivers are um, – I think at one point they had um, Jay Eric, um, Ja'Karian Joyner, Trey Adkins, and Chad Terrell as the four guys out there. Um, I wouldn't feel fully confident either in that position. Yeah, it's like those are my two backup quarterbacks, a guy that's never played and is a walk-on, and Chad Terrell, who I don't know how many catches he has in his career, but I'm guessing it's fewer than 10. Uh, not a lot you could do with that, and even still, even still, Carolina should have scored more than 15 points. So if we're going to throw these numbers aside, say that there is something wrong with the process, maybe maybe all these numbers that Pro Football Focus published were actually just typos, and they're going to be like, whoops, sorry, we actually meant Ryan Hunts got an 84 not a 48, but while we wait on that to happen, what did you see on Saturday? You were at the game. You were sitting in the press box, so fortunately you were warm. Why did Carolina only score 15 points? So I've been actually thinking about this, and I plan on writing an article tonight um, in my, I guess one of my five things or five takeaways from the game is going to be about this, but it seems that South Carolina, especially in offense, is less than the sum of its parts. Um, you know, you would look and say, uh, a lot of Brian McClendon gets a lot of um, a lot of heat for the offense, and I, I think people look at it and go, "Well, I would have called that one particular play call differently, or I would have called that differently." But you have um, I was watching the Alabama game beforehand. Alabama tried a um, pass that um, Brian McClendon actually ran. Uh, I guess it was kind of a rushing play um, that the kind of swing pass to Brian Edwards. Um, off of a um, jet sweep motion that um, South Carolina started running this year. I've seen Auburn run some um, trap plays that South Carolina has run in the running game. Um, Brian McClendon, to me, is a very creative play caller in some cases. Um, and so it's, you can't say, okay, he's the problem. And then you look and go, okay, Ryan Holinsky's missed a couple passes, but you can't say Ryan Holinsky's the problem. And then you can't, I mean, you can look at the receivers and say, you know, they're not as good as you would hope they would be. You know, you've got some drops here and there. But if South Carolina caught, you know, three of those drops, I wouldn't say that South Carolina would have won that game. So it's almost like you can look at all these different um, aspects of South Carolina's offense, and you can't point to one area and go, that's broken. But you can look at the system and say, it's broken. Something's wrong. Um, if there's anything that I would say, and it's just at this point kind of a trial and error thing, I'd like to see South Carolina air it out a little bit more. Um, not just some of these short passes, which, yes, Ryan Holinsky can throw them, but South Carolina's offense started to move the ball when they had to. Um, at, the, at the end of the game when App State, I guess, kind of went to prevent for a little bit, but they also sent the blitz a couple times. Um, when South Carolina was sending more deep routes out, um, when South Carolina was allowing Ryan Holinsky to survey the field and throw the ball further than five yards down the field, they really started to move the ball. I don't know off the top of my head how many yards Ryan Holinsky had in the fourth quarter, but it had to be more than the rest of the game combined. Um, and we've seen that this year, that sometimes when they go to air the ball out, yes, Ryan Holinsky is going to make a mistake here and there, um, but you see more passes. You see more um, deeper throws. And that's what last year South Carolina was good at, is um, they were one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Now, they couldn't pick up three yards when they needed to pick up three yards, but they were one of the most explosive um, explosive offenses in the country, and you could see that from, say, the Clemson game or something like that. They would hit those deep balls. They would hit a deep ball to the tight end. They would hit a, a double move to Shy Smith or something like that. Um, and they're just not doing that this year. They're not a very explosive offense. You know, I said earlier they only have 
now four receivers, I guess, after this game that have had a reception over 25 yards. But before that, they'd had like nine chunk plays from guys not named Brian Edwards and Shai Smith. And part of it, I think, is a lack of trust in the offense. But at some point, I think you just kind of have to say, well, you know what, we're going to, you know, if, we're go- if we go down, we're going to go down airing it out, and we're going to go down throwing it 50 yards down the field. Yeah, you would think. Um, that's unfortunately kind of the Will Muschamp MO, whether it's, you know, specific play calls like late in the game like North Carolina where you just get conservative, you're just trying to maybe hope that the clock all of a sudden starts to run faster so that you can get the heck out of there with a W or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but it is it is kind of mystifying to me, and I've seen a lot of people criticizing Carolina for not having enough explosive playmakers, and I just... I can't totally buy that because I think it has more to do with what you're talking about. I think this is really smart that you've identified it like this. Just kind of philosophically, what Carolina is not doing is more problematic than the personnel or the execution or anything like that. Um, And it is, again, so weird that it's such a departure from last season. Maybe it is being overly protective of Ryan Holinsky, wanting to build his confidence, not, not force him into a situation where he might make mistakes that could rattle him. I don't know if that's something that is done based on experience, because I think Jake Bentley was someone that didn't always necessarily respond as positively as he could have, you know, in the face of adversity. And so maybe they took that and they learned from that. And they're like, okay, well, then let's not ask Ryan Holinsky to make mistakes, even though if that might not be the case. You know, maybe he's someone that needs to throw a pick and then all of a sudden he's going to play a lot better. Maybe he's going to end up being a Brett Favre type. You know, I've heard some of those comparisons already just in terms of the way that he'll sling it, change his arm angle, things like that, and not to get ahead of myself in terms of comparisons. But I think guys are guys are different. You need to you need to adapt to that. And so that's why I think I've seen you and some other people on Twitter saying you can't necessarily criticize Brian McClendon because, you know, what play calls would you do differently? Or, you know, if if that's a criticism, like where would you make these changes? And I, I think that's fair. And it's not as easy as when Kurt Roper was the offensive coordinator and it's like, well, you definitely should not have done that. Oh, that was a bad play call. That was a bad play call. Because I agree with you. I think by and large, there have been very few times this season where I've said, oh, I really don't like that play call. And even the best offensive coordinators in the country, in college football, in the NFL, wherever, you're going to disagree with some of those calls. And some of them are going to work and some of them aren't. But that's why they get paid the big bucks and we're just, you know, just kind of commenting on it. Um, but I, I think you have to look at the whole body of work. You have to look at the whole season and say, there is something that is not right here. And even if it's not specific play calls, it's got to be something philosophical. It has to be something either in the preparation or the approach because Carolina has even done some different things. You know, they started the team, they started the year as more of an inside zone team and then that wasn't really working. So they made the adjustment and they went to a little more pin and pull. Even in this game, we saw them running some of their pin and pull stuff early. It didn't really work. So they switched to a little more zone. They're willing to make those adjustments. We talked about the, the cool, you know, like swing pass back out to Brian for the first touchdown of the Vanderbilt game. Like that's a really cool play design. There was a cool play when the carry on Joyner was in at quarterback and they ran a pin and pull, but the variation in the backfield is he, is Joyner faked a toss sweep to Deshaun Fimwick to sort of create a counter type motion. And then he was able to pick up, you know, seven or eight yards on that carry. So there's some interesting play design. I don't have a problem with most of the play calls, but it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's just less than the sum of the parts. And it's hard to see exactly where the cracks are. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up that um, play to um, Joyner. I think I tweeted during that part. And I think that's one of the tweets that people have kind of latched onto about, um, Brian McClendon and how, you know, creative is not necessarily better. Um, But when South Carolina throws in a wrinkle on offense, which they've done basically every week this season, um, it seems to work. Um, Whether it's that um, the Joyner pass or run that you're referencing was their largest run of the game. 
I think it was like an eight or nine yard gain on that, um, which was their longest uh, rushing play of the game, which is kind of sad in that <laughs> that regard. Um, but it's something that Appalachian State had not seen and they were not ready for it. Um, but then you go back and say some of their inside zone didn't work. Well, the pin and pull didn't work. Um, a lot of these other things that have worked a lot this season just didn't work. And it's not for lack of trying. They just really didn't execute it well. And, you know, you can go back to film study. You can go back to um, Appalachian State's um, linebackers played really well in this game, you know, however you want to look at it. Um, one thing, and this is a very crude metric, but I was just looking at um, last year, um, Jake Bentley's air yards per attempt and Ryan Holinsky's air yards per attempt. And there's almost a two yard difference between how far the average throw goes down the field between Jake Bentley and Ryan Holinsky. Now, Jake Bentley ended up with a 27 to 14 touchdown interception ratio. And Ryan Holinsky, including one that bounced off the hands of his receiver, has only four interceptions on the season. Um, but at the same time, I think you can look at it and go, well, Jake Bentley played really well towards the end of last season, and a lot of it was they took their shots when they needed to. And I don't think it's necessarily shot plays because South Carolina is running those. Um, I would honestly say the inter- intermediate passing game just isn't there. Um, and I don't know if it's a Ryan Holinsky thing, that there are throws there that he's just not willing to make or if it's the offense trying to protect him. I don't really know what that is without being, I guess, in the huddle. Um, but I, I think back to a, a deep out route, um, which is considered probably the hardest throw in football, that um, Ryan Holinsky made on like a fourth and ten with Eve. Um, and you look at that throw and go, wow, he can make that throw. Why don't they run that more often? Um, and I don't have answers to that. So. I, the, the, I guess, fourth, I don't know if it was fourth and ten, fourth and twelve. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the first of three fourth down completions, that long pass to Brian Edwards. I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, but I mean that's a that's a next level throw. I mean that, that he he has the confidence in himself to make that throw, and when they need to, the coaching staff will ask him to make it. But it just begs the question: Why don't they do that the rest of the time? And and like I said earlier, he seems comfortable going through his progressions, not just locking onto one guy, just finding the open receiver wherever that person is. So it just is mystifying that they don't ask him to do that more and maybe Saturday is not the best example of that because they did throw it 57 times and it was because they were trailing for most of that game and sort of chasing it so it was sort of out of necessity and I mean they shouldn't have wanted to do that anyway because ultimately Carolina needed to run the ball that's been their identity all year it's I will never probably I could watch this game another 15 times and I will probably never understand why exactly Carolina had their worst rushing performance of the season I Right? I think it is. I don't know if they've had fewer than 21 yards, but at least when you factor in caliber of opponent and the fact that Carolina ran the ball well against Georgia and against Alabama and against these other good teams, it will never make sense to me. But even with all that, they still should have won the game. Ryan Helensky's performance I thought was good enough. It was heartbreaking that he missed that throw to Brian at the end, even though it would have been ruled out because of a holding. But even just like watching that back, it's like, oh, gosh, it's like that is the... That's the one like glaring miss, and it's the one that's probably going to stick in people's minds the most, even if it didn't actually have an impact on the game. But it just uh, 15 points, 15 points against Appalachian State. Yeah. Yikes. Now, the flip side is they only gave up 20 defensively, well, 13 defensively, really. Obviously, there was a defensive touchdown on the, on the pick six. You mentioned that Javon Kinlaw had either the lowest or the second lowest grade of anyone on South Carolina, maybe even on either team. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The defensive performance was as solid as it always is. They gave up 202 yards. They held Appalachian State to, I think it was just two third-down conversions. I'm looking at the team's head. Yeah, two of 13 on third-down conversions. 13 points allowed. They forced a turnover. I don't know what more Carolina could have expected or asked of their defense. 
I don't know how Javon Kinlaw didn't have a good grade. Um, well, a lot of the defensive tackles didn't, um, and it's you can say it's poor preparation. I think it's just really hard because most teams don't do it. Um, Appalachian State this year has had a lot of success with their – they've got a small offensive line that's fairly athletic, um, not just for offensive linemen, but for football players. Um, I think they average like 260, 270 on the offensive line. And so because of that, they cut block a lot. And I thought they were pretty successful with their cut blocking um, and kind of took South Carolina's um, defensive line out of the game. Um, that being said, I thought South Carolina's secondary and linebackers played their best game of the season. Um, and the grades kind of back that up. You have your uh, top two players um, in terms of PFF grade were J.C. Horn and Sherrod Green. Um, Mukwamu, um, uh, D.J. Wanham, who played a lot off the ball in this one. Uh, J.T. Ebay, Ernest Jones all had fairly high grades um, from this game. And then you look at a couple of the backups, uh, Danny Fennell, um, Jabari Ellis actually graded out decently well in three snaps. I think he had one pretty big play in one of those three snaps that helped him out. Um, but most of the defense ended up at very worst average. And then you have Javon Kinlaw, Rick Sandage, uh, TJ Brunson, and Zach Pickens that just did not grade out well. Well, Javon Kinlaw even picked up half a sack, I think. I'm, I don't have the stats for that right in front of me, but I think he had half a sack, Sherrod Green had half a sack. And I think somebody else picked up a sack for Carolina. I don't remember. Uh, oh, that might have been Ernest Jones, who was credited on the grounding. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, and Javon Kinlaw um, continued his streak of pressures. He's had now um, in, I believe it's 21 straight games, he's had a pressure. Uh, but the last three, he's, he's averaged this season through seven games. He averaged four pressures a game. and He's had three his past three games. Um, so struggling a little bit there. Um, I don't know if that's just a blocking scheme. Um, teams are finally starting to try to take him out of the game um, more, but he his dominance has not been there, even if his PFF grade last game against Vanderbilt was very good. I guess one of the other things I look at, and again, it makes sense if maybe what the defensive line, according to Pro Football Focus, didn't do that was made up for by the linebackers because, like I said, it was obviously a, a very strong defensive performance, but I, I like the adjustments that Carolina made, and it seemed like that started up front. It seemed like there was a little more running room for Darrington Evans, especially, in that first half, and Carolina did a good job of adjusting, so I was hoping that would have been reflected um, in the grades, especially in the defensive tackles, because Evans had 56 of his 85 rushing yards in the first half, and all of his 32 receiving yards, so Carolina did a good job of taking him out of the game um, in the second half, and even beyond that, 125 of App State's 202 total yards came in the first half, which means they only had 77 yards in the second half, and after that touchdown drive, I think they just had 22 yards for the rest of the game. So when the defense needed to make stops, they did. They shut down those running lanes. Uh, Zach Thomas, who has been a really good runner all year, I think he has, he had like just over 300 yards rushing on the season, and if you take out sack yardage, he was almost at 400 yards for the season. He finished with nine carries for negative seven yards. His long was that third and 11 that they just ran sort of a quarterback keeper to try and kill the clock right before they punted it away to Carolina for that last drive. So I thought everything that Carolina needed to do defensively, they either did or they adjusted and were able to do, I guess just specifically in the case of limiting what Darrington Evans was able to do. But I don't think I have anything negative to say about the defensive performance. No, I think the defense is starting, I guess, continuing to do um, what they said they were going to do at the beginning of the season. I think they're coming together and, um, you know, working well, um, you're starting to see different guys step up to supplement the kind of, I don't want to say superstars, because I don't know if other than Javon Kinlaw, this team has any superstars, but um, 
you know, J.C. Horn, um, Israel Mukwamu, um, they're consistently finding themselves in the top, um, at the top of the defense by PFF grade. J.C. Horn, who had a pretty slow start to the season, if we're being honest, has picked it up. He's had three straight games with a grade um, above 65 which for a corner is kind of what you're going to do. You're not usually going to have that just absolutely dominant performance um, outside of one or two that we've seen. Um, but we're starting to see some of South Carolina's secondary really start to step up and play well, um, which is what, honestly, we thought they could do at the beginning of the season that they just did not do um, to start. But I think ever since maybe that Kentucky game, they've really stepped up, um, and it's really been the offense that um, has been struggling, which is a shame because – if you think this defense last year with last year's offense, um, that could have been a really good team. Um, if this defense, I guess, you know, there's not as many injuries this year. Um, but you look at last year's offense and how well it played, and then this year's defense and how well it's played. Um, you put the two together, and you're looking at a really good team, and South Carolina just can't get it all together at once. It's kind of an unfortunate microcosm of the Will Muschamp experience here in South Carolina. He has not been able to get any of his units on the same page at the same time, whether it's the entire offense this year and you know, or defense this year, offense last year, or even just Carolina can't have a good rushing and passing game in the same game this entire season. Um, I guess just real quick, as we finish up the defense, uh, Zach Thomas only attempted 15 passes. They had 16 pass attempts as a team, uh, only gave up 105 yards passing, so right at about seven yards per attempt. Did have the interception, so uh, like no room necessary for the secondary to have gotten a bad grade, but they did a good job of not letting any of those plays get too out of the bag. I guess there was one screen pass, I can't remember who caught it, that uh, ended up going for a lot, but that was really the only big play that I feel like Carolina gave up in the passing game. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because, and maybe this isn't the best game to uh, ask you this question, because you just mentioned some of the defensive tackles did not have excellent grades, but I was thinking about how good the defensive line has been all year. The secondary has obviously been up and down. I think the linebackers have been improved, but I think this is a legitimately good easily the best defensive line that Will Muschamp has had here at South Carolina. Is this the best single unit for a South Carolina team this bad that you can remember? When I think about it, um, I don't know if it depends on how you phrase the question, because there were some bad South Carolina teams that put a lot of secondary guys into the NFL. And I don't think I ever remember them looking at them going, wow, those are some really good players. Mm -hmm. um, I think of even last year's team, um, the defense was horrible. And now you've got really two guys in the secondary that are playing in the NFL, and Keyshawn Nixon and um, who was the other one? Uh, Rashad, uh, Rashad Fenton. Fenton, who made a nice play yeah. uh, in the Chiefs game yesterday. Yeah, he did. Um, and so I never really looked at either of those two and went, wow, those are NFL players. Um, and then they just magically kind of show up in the NFL and you're like, you know, that's pretty solid. Um, I think a couple of years ago there were a couple, you know, key players here and there from some bad South Carolina teams um, that I can remember um, that ended up in the NFL, um, ended up playing well there, or just having their, maybe their um, individual efforts overshadowed by just how bad the team was. Mm. Um, but I think back South Carolina, um, maybe I guess my final answer I'll go with is the running backs and really the backfield running backs and quarterback um, in that 2014 season. I thought that Dylan Thompson had a fantastic year that year, but the defense was just probably the worst defense I've ever seen from a South Carolina team um, with, you know, the offense, even Steve Spurrier going and, 
saying he's never going to punt against Auburn and going for it on like fourth down and 10 from his own 40 in the first quarter and things like that. That, that offense was pretty solid. And there were some pretty solid running backs on that team. There was, um, and Dylan Thompson, I thought, played well on that team. Um, but they just never had it together because that defense was just so bad that year. Great minds think alike, my friend. That was exactly why I was asking. I was, uh, I think I was driving in this morning, and I was like, man, the defensive line has been really good, and this team's probably going to finish 4-8. and eight. And I just, that was exactly what I was thinking of. Dylan Thompson setting the single-season passing record for South Carolina in 2014 with a terrible defense. And even that team managed to go 6-6, six and six, go to a bowl game, which I guess they lost, right? They finished 6-7 and seven that year, I think. Um, I think they beat Miami that year, didn't they? Oh, was it? So that was seven and six. Was that the year they beat Miami? I think that was the game that like Sky Moore had two interceptions. It was a terrible, terrible bowl game. But. Oh, okay. Hang on. Yeah, I'm I'm looking it up right now. You may be right, but yeah, just a team that finished six and six in the regular season with an historically great offense. And I don't know if I would say this is exactly an historically great defensive line for Carolina because obviously they've had some good ones this decade. Uh, but I just feel like we're going to look back on this year. Obviously, think that it's very disappointing given that, like I said, the season will probably end up being 4-8. And, eight. and be like, man, Javon Kinlaw was on that team. Aaron Sterling and DJ Wanham were like at the top of the SEC in sacks and tackles for loss. And, you know, that was Zach Pickens' freshman year. We know when Carolina fans are looking back on him as like a Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, Kobe Smith had a really nice senior year. And there's just so many good guys giving good performances uh, all for a 4-8 team. And it's uh, kind of unfortunate that it'll be in vain. And, yeah, you're right. That 2-14 yeah. and 14 team, um, or 2014 team, was seven and six and won the Independence Bowl twenty four twenty one against Miami. Good recall. Yeah, that was a terrible game. I have no idea how I remembered that <laughs> one. But, um, but no, I, th- I think four years from now we'll look back at this team and go, "How did they have such a good defensive line?" And we'll look and see Javon Kinlaw in the NFL. We'll see DJ Wanham in the NFL. We'll see um, Kobe Smith has you know has the numbers and the size that he could end up um, as a role player on a team. Um, I think of Taylor Stallworth who's playing really well for the Saints too. Mm-hmm. Um, was probably a very, very underrated player. Um, I always thought he played well on those bad South Carolina teams. Um, but yeah, I think we'll look back in four years from now and go, wow, this is a really good unit that just did not, I guess, get the accolades it probably deserved because the rest of the team, um, you know, is playing the way they're playing. I mean, you think, I thought even um, after the game, let's say South Carolina doesn't have the hold and Ryan Holinsky hits that pass to Brian Edwards and South Carolina wins the game. You're probably talking about how well the defense um, the defense played at that um, at the end of the game, and how well Ryan Holinsky played when he had to air it out. Um, I think he's slowly gotten better over the years um, when he's had to air it out. I thought he was pretty bad against Alabama towards the end of that game when um, they he basically had to throw it every play. And I think Missouri we had you know, saw how poorly that went. Um, but I think even at other times of the year when they um, have had to either gotten behind in the fourth quarter and had to throw the ball more. Um, I think steadily Ryan Holinsky has gotten better and better and more confident in those situations, um, which is what you want from your freshman quarterback. But, um, you know, if you complete that pass or let's say you get the two-point conversion and then kick a field goal um, and South Carolina somehow wins that game, I don't think it's as negative as what you're seeing now. I have so many more kind of follow-up thoughts that I want to get to, but they all are kind of season and review wrap-up kinds of things. And while the season is effectively over for South Carolina, they're going to finish 4-8, and eight, maybe 5-7. and seven. I don't know. I'm not super impressed with Texas A&M. I've, I've watched them several times this year. I haven't like, dug into the film yet necessarily. They do still have two more games, so I'm going to save some of those like end-of-season things for what we will do at the end of the year in terms of uh, you know, a wrap-up and sort of season and review kind of thing. Uh, but We've uh, already gone long here. We're like right at about 40 minutes. Wow, this is super long. But there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, was there anything else that we did not get to that you wanted to get to before I let you go? 
I just have to say, kind of get on my soapbox and say, I know people don't watch group of five football. Um, a lot of people who are telling you that App State is a terrible team. I saw somebody say it's a worse loss than the Citadel, um, which is just not the case. Um, but App State's a very good team. Um, group of five football is a lot better. Um, if App State played Clemson's schedule, I think they'd probably have the same record they do now. Um, so, you know, not that it takes away anything or um, is a way to say that, oh, the loss wasn't that bad because it was a bad loss. And I think the way they lost was even worse. Um, but this was not a pushover team that South Carolina lost to. And um, I honestly thought the line was backwards um, before the game started. I thought it was uh, should have been um, App State favorite in this game. But um, it wasn't, and Vegas disagreed, and South Carolina ended up losing. I imagine Appalachian State would have been favored, or it would have been, the line would have finished within a field goal, I think, either way, had Appalachian State come into the game undefeated, which is, I think, just sort of the nature of those things. You know, once a team loses, it's like, oh, well, they're actually not that good, even if it was a weird game in the cold, in the rain, Thursday night, Halloween, so already a spooky night, and you're playing a triple option team. It's just, you know, that's, that's kind of how those things. Team. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's how those things go, but I, I was with you. I told everyone all week, do not touch. I said, don't touch Carolina minus three and a half. And then the line went up to four. I said, don't touch a minus four. Don't touch a minus five. Don't touch a minus six. I still can't believe that thing got all the way up to six and a half. But uh, you're exactly right. I mean, Appalachian State was just the better team on Saturday. We can talk about all the reasons why, but Appalachian State was better. They deserved to win that game. South Carolina's offense was terrible. Um, they're not going to score 30 points against an FBS opponent this year, which seemed unthinkable. And I very sarcastically made that prediction after the Missouri game this year. And I'm devastated and bewildered that it's actually going to come true. But uh, here we are, November 11th. Carolina has not scored 30 points in, against an FBS opponent, including Appalachian State and Vanderbilt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. Well, you're, uh, you got stuff to work on. Sounds like you're writing an article that's going to go up on Gamecock Central tonight, tomorrow? Should be tonight. Should be tonight. All right, y'all be on the lookout for that. Be sure to read Will on Gamecock Central. Follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. For a lot more of the nuggets that you get on this just once a week, you can get those like pretty much every day just following him on Twitter. And be sure to check out his website, prep-ra.com. If you are somebody that, or if you or if somebody you know is interested in playing football at the next level and pursuing the academic side of it as well as the athletic side of it, basically, if, uh, if you're not a five-star guy that's going to Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, or Clemson, uh, give Will a call. Everything from SAT prep to tutoring um, and football-related things as well. Prep-RA.com. Will, we'll talk to you again on Monday, and Carolina's not going to be a favorite in this game, so at least next time we talk, it won't be quite as disappointing. Absolutely. Thanks so much to Will. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. Really one of my favorite follows on Twitter. So y'all do that. Um, I'm going to be at Texas A&M this weekend. So hopefully Monday we'll, I mean, Carolina is probably going to lose and they're probably going to lose by a lot, but hopefully I'll at least have some fun stories like from A&M or Houston, or I'll at least have some food recommendations or something. But also that's why I'm mentioning this now, because in the next couple days, if y'all have any recommendations for things that I need to do, we are flying into Houston and I think staying there both nights. So anywhere that you think I should eat, I know we're planning to try to eat at Blood Brothers Barbecue Anywhere else that we need to go, anything we need to do, please let me know. I would love travel recommendations because we're going to be there all weekend. Until then, though, I will be back on Wednesday to talk with Wes and Chris on another Carolina podcast. I'm sure that will be a fun podcast and tensions will not be raised at all. I think Chris is already planning on doing a mailbag segment, so be on the lookout for that, either on the Insiders Forum or the Fighting Gamecock Forum. He's probably going to post it on TIF, in which case, y'all, if you're not an insider and you want to be an insider just so you can post some questions to ask us for ACP on Wednesday, GC Pod, you get a month for free. 
of subscriber access to GameCock Central. GCPod is the exclusive podcast code. Thank you all so much again for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. I'll talk to you all on Wednesday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.